book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 will be our consideration this morning. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 1 of that 5th chapter. Not going to read the entirety, but we're going to read down through several verses. 2 Samuel chapter 5. The Bible said, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are, thy ha- or we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledeth out and broughteth in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all of the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned Thirty and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same is the city of David. And David said, On that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. And King Hiram of or, or King or Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people's sake. And then in verse number seventeen. It says, And when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hole. And the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. David came to Baal, Pierzim, and David smote them there. I like that word. And David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perism. Everybody said Amen. 
I don't really know exactly what to call this, but we're going to take a journey this morning, and I hope that you will be with me all the way. Amen. Perhaps lessons learned from a robin. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Verse 17 of our text says, And when they heard that David had been anointed king, over Israel. Not Israel the divided, but Israel the united. What we read in the first portion of that chapter was the uniting of a divided kingdom. For a long time, Israel had had an internal strife that had caused division among their own brethren. And Judah and Israel. Judah uh, was divided against Israel, and Israel basically represented ten kingdoms, and Judah represented two of the, the kingdoms of, of Israel. They had been that way because of many issues. I don't have time to go into it. But when David was anointed king, somebody decided that it's time for us to get our act together and let's act like brethren and let's live like brethren and so they came together and they asked David to be anointed king over all of Israel and so it was and the scripture says that when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king when they had a They had agreed to come together, and they had united themselves once again. They came against Israel. This is one thing that I need to tell all of you this morning, and that is that the devil hates unity. He hates unity in the church. He hates unity in you as an individual. He likes things that are in disarray. He likes lives that are upside down and turned every which way but right. He loves it when you live disordered and confused. And as long as you live that way, he is content to leave you alone. Because you don't need a devil when you're that way. You do it all to yourself. And as long as Israel remained as a divided and confused people, the devil just smiled and let them go on, destroying themselves. But one day all of that changed. And they said, you know what? We're not doing good. This is not good for us to be divided. We need to get together. We need to get our act together. And so they came together as a united brotherhood, and the devil hated it, and he stirred up their number one nemesis, the Philistines, to come against them to try to disrupt the good work of unity. 
The devil hates a godly purpose. The devil hates it when people make up in their mind that they're going to get their lives straightened out. And that's why when a person or a church decides to go on a concerted effort of prayer, the devil will do everything in his power to disrupt that because he knows what that will produce and he's against it. And so I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you ahead of this week. Everything in the world is going to try to come up to stop you from coming to prayer. And if you're not careful, you're going to give in to that. And you'll go right on being what you've always been. But there is an opportunity for us to unite. To unite in prayer, to unite not only in prayer, but to unite our own hearts to seek God in a way that we have not sought Him in a long time. But the devil will always show up when you decide to set things in order. He will. And as long as there's disarray and, 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 and chaos in your life, he is content to let things be as they may. But let your mind change and the battle is on. That doesn't discourage me this morning. That encourages me. That tells me I must be headed in the right direction because anything the devil hates, I need to love. Because the devil doesn't love anything that's right or righteous or true or godly or pure. And so if he hates unity, then that's something that I need to fall in love with. I need to unite my heart to seek God and give him everything that he deserves. As long as there was disarray in Israel, the enemy was content to stay in its place. As long as they were divided, there was nothing to worry about. But as soon as they united, the Philistines rose up against them and they decided to do something to disrupt this atmosphere because they could see the handwriting on the wall. And they knew that something good, nothing good for them was going to come out of that. And any time you and I decide to do right, you can always know that the enemy is going to do everything in his power to try and stop us. And so when David was anointed king, the Philistines rose up to aggravate and agitate the situation and disrupt and vex the people of God thinking that they could put them back in to the disarray that they had been in before. But what happened was contrary to that. David, instead of cowing down to their threats, he went up against them. And he rose up against them and defeated them. The question that comes to my mind, though, is why... Had the Philistines been allowed to be such a nemesis to Israel for so long? Why were they even where they were at that time anyway? Why had somebody not long ago rose up and said, You know what? We need to put these folks out of our land. They don't belong here. This is God's land. This is God's property. But Israel had been content to live alongside and to get along. And it goes away back. It goes all the way back 
to the time when Israel came into the promised land. And God gave them orders on what to do as they went through the land. But instead of following all of their orders, the Bible said that Israel put some of the people to their servitude. And those servants soon became their masters. And it wasn't long until the ones that they had allowed to live rose up and began to be thorns in their side and vexed and troubled them for many, many years. But now David was on the throne, and David was not the kind of man to let that kind of thing go on. And so he rose up. There's a comparison to what I want to draw your attention to in the, in the realm of nature. There, there's a bird in, in the realm of nature that is called the cuckoo bird. And it is a strange creature for many reasons. Not only because of its name, but it is probably one of the laziest birds that there is. Because they are too lazy to build their own nest. They will not take the time nor the energy or the effort to build a nest because there's a whole line of reasons for them not to do it. And I don't have time to go into all of those, but needless to say, because they will not build their own nest for this reason, they seek out the nest of other birds in which they can deposit their eggs and hope that they will be nurtured and brought to life. Now, they have particular birds that they like to deposit their eggs in, and that is the, the nest of the robin, because they have learned over the years of their existence that the robin has a peculiar weakness. And so they will come to the robin's nest and they will lay their eggs in that nest and leave it to that robin to hatch them out and feed them and nurture them into adulthood. And so they do. They lay their eggs in the robin's nest and even though their eggs are much larger than the robin's eggs, that robin will allow those eggs to stay there and they will literally hatch out those foreign eggs. And they will not only hatch them out, but they will bring them food. Even when they have been hatched and they realize the nature of what they have hatched, they tell me that the robin will not stop feeding that bird even though it will disrupt its nest and eventually destroy its own birds. As it grows and it takes on the proportions of a much larger bird than the robin, more like a hawk than any other bird that I could describe, as it grows, it literally pushes out the smaller birds out of the nest. And it is not uncommon for you to find those 
little robins laying on the ground dead and up in the nest chirping and waiting for Mama Robin to bring them another worm is a cuckoo bird. That doesn't make sense to me. That a, a, a mother would give birth to something and then watch a foreign spirit, a foreign whatever come in to its nest and then literally push its own out of the nest and still nurture and feed the thing that is killing its own. And yet those who study such things say that is exactly what happens. The robin will allow it to grow, pushing out its very own watching its own die on the grass below. But the robin goes right on feeding and nurturing and protecting the murder of its own offspring. The question is why? It is true at first the robin is horrified at beholding this repulsive form that is in its nest What is this and what nature is this that has invaded its home? But the strangest thing is that even though they know something is wrong, they do not stop the madness. They keep right on feeding it, nurturing it, bringing it food until it can go on its own. And as it grows and it pushes the other smaller robins out of the nest and they die, the parent robin, the, the mother bird, just goes right on feeding and protecting this murder of its offspring. Why do they keep feeding something that's destroying everything they love? Well, strange as it may seem, they say they feed them at first out of pity because of their helplessness. But as that bird begins to grow and take on its nature and it begins to push out the smaller robin, that mother bird realizes what's going on. But by that time, that mother has become so accustomed and so familiar and so acquainted with this foreign nature that it doesn't have the nerve or the courage to push it out. By the time that the robin discovers the true character of the cuckoo bird, they have become so attached to it that they cannot quit feeding it. And they cannot quit caring for it even though it is destroying their own offspring. They've gotten used to it. I wonder how many things we have just gotten used to. When it first came along, it irritated us. We knew it didn't belong there. We knew, I don't need that in my family. I don't need that in my heart. I don't need that in my mind. But for whatever reason, instead of doing what we needed to do and getting it out, we allowed it to stay. And the longer it stays and the longer we have secretly and privately nurtured it, 
the more we have become attached to it. To now the very thing that is destroying many lives is the foreign spirit that doesn't belong there in the first place. But is there because we have gotten too acquainted with it and too familiar with it. And so it was with Israel. They had gotten used to living with the Philistines in their backyard. Now they knew the Philistines didn't worship their God, didn't love the same things they loved, didn't serve the same God they served. They knew that the Philistines were opposed to everything they represented. But for whatever reason, they had decided to not rock the boat. I don't need that kind of headache in my life right now. I don't need that kind of trouble. And so they just allowed them to coexist along with them. They allowed them to get along and live and continue to thrive in their own land. And ever so often the Philistine would rise up and come in and tear their families and their lives apart. Then they would retreat. Then life would go back to normal and everything would be okay. And everything inside of them would say, you know what? We need to go deal with the problem. We need to go back and take care of the issue that brought all this about. But nobody had the courage to do it. And so everything goes back to normal and everything gets back like it was. And that spirit still exists. That spirit's still living. And it had been like that for years, even through King Saul's reign. Instead of dealing with them and moving them out of the way, they allowed them to coexist. Now, this is the strange thing about all of that, is that the Philistines in their staying in the land, had taken ownership of part of the land. The very valley that David went down to battle them in, they had renamed the valley of Rephaim, which literally interpreted is the valley of the giants, which was of the nature of the Philistines. They not only coexisted in the land of Israel, but they had actually started taking ownership of some of the land and claiming ownership of certain areas of that land. This is ours. Israel, you can have that. You can enjoy that. You can be blessed there. But this is ours. This is ours. And the crazy thing is, Israel let that go on. Israel let that happen until David came along. And David said, you know what? There's something wrong with this picture. That land belongs to us. That doesn't belong to the Philistines. It doesn't belong with their name on that. That valley is our valley. That's part of the promised land that God gave us. And so David goes to the hole and he inquires of the Lord, Do you want me to recapture that? And the Lord said, Go and get it. David went out and got it. And the Bible said he smote them. I like that word. Now you may not like that because that may be too aggressive for you. 
But that's the reason why some of you are battling spirits in your life right now that are tearing your homes apart because you are not strong enough to rise up and say, you know what, this is not living in my house. This is not going to coexist with my family. This is not coexisting with my life. Man. And so David said, God, do you want me to retake it? What is your will, God? God said, my will is that land belongs to you. And so David rises up and he goes to battle and he smites them and he, re- he renames the valley. The valley of the giants he renames to the valley of Rephaim, which means the valley of breakthrough. And not from that day forward... It is never referred to, as far as I can find, other than in that setting, it is never referred to again by the valley of Rephaim. It is referred to as the valley of Baal Perizim or the valley, valley of breakthrough. Because David decided that if that belongs to me, why am I not possessing it? If God gave me that promise, why do I still not have it in my possession? If that is part of what God said I could have, then what has been keeping me from enclosing that and embracing that in my life? If that is what God said should be part of my life, then why why am I content to let a cuckoo bird push out my very own promises? They tell me that one reason probably why this happens is because the appetite, the reason that the cuckoo bird doesn't lay its own eggs in its own nest is because literally it would be impossible for a cuckoo bird that laid four or five eggs to feed them because they have such a voracious appetite. And so they will deposit one egg in one nest and one egg in another nest. and one. They don't lay all of their eggs at one time. They lay one one time and then a few days later they lay another one. But they, they tell me that if they laid them all in one nest that it would literally kill the mother and there would be no offspring out of it because all of them would die because there's no way that they could sustain the appetite of that many birds in one nest. But... If she deposits that in a robin, a robin will forget her own birds laying on the ground dying because she's got to go get another worm for this big mouth that's open. A desire and an appetite that can never be satisfied. And that mother is so busy flying here and there that she doesn't have time to look down and take inventory and say, what's wrong with this picture? Here I am nurturing a spirit in my home and in my family and in my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm entertaining this spirit in my nest that's destroying everything that I am, everything that I represent. It is destroying everything that I live for. And yet I don't have the time or the courage to do anything about it because I'm too busy trying to satisfy the appetite of a spirit that doesn't belong in my life. The Bible said the horse leech is one thing that 
all it can say is more. More. It's never satisfied. It doesn't matter how much blood it sucks out of you. It wants another ounce. It doesn't matter how much you give. It wants a little more. And there are some spirits that we battle in our Christian life. And we coddle and we say, well, you know, it's really not that bad. I mean, I don't really, I don't really have that big a problem, Brother Hughes. I'm, 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 I, you know, I can handle this. And its appetite is such that we spend all of our time trying to feed it and keep it going, knowing all the time that there's something wrong, but we can't stop ourselves. Somebody has got to stop the madness in this place this morning. Somebody's got to rise up and say, like David, not anymore. Not from this point forward. This lunacy's got to stop. This craziness has got to stop. This thing has got to change. I cannot allow this thing to keep destroying what I say I love the most. There's an insatiable appetite in some things that it doesn't matter how much you feed it. It'll never be enough. And I'm going to tell you what the worst nature is your human nature your flesh your flesh your carnality it never gets enough but because it's so close attached to me I mean there's parts of it that I like I pamper it I put it to sleep I get a good mattress get warm clothes to put on. I don't beat it up. I don't abuse it because there's parts of it that are kind of nice. But there's another side to that carnality that can never get enough. It's never satisfied. You say, well, I'm just going to look this time. No, you won't look just this time. You'll look next time, and the next time it shows up, you'll, and every time it opens its mouth, you'll be running to try to find something to feed it because its nature can never be satisfied. And you're always having to get more. And there's got to be more somewhere in your life. You've got to wake up and realize that the only thing you can do with the carnal man is put him to the cross and bring him to an altar and crucify him because if you let that carnal man live, he's going to destroy your life. He will destroy everything you represent and everything you say you love. And there are a lot of problems that people are dealing with in their life this morning because they have nurtured in their own nest a nature that in its truest spirit is against everything you represent. Because it doesn't care if yours die. It doesn't care how many die. As long as it gets to live. As long as it gets fed. As long as you keep bringing another morsel. 
as long as you throw at something. And some of us don't even understand some of the television that we watch, some of the things that we give our lives to, some of the books that we read, some of the issues that we get involved in. We don't realize on the surface they seem so innocent, but underneath is a hunger that's going to pull out of you things that you can't afford to lose. And they're going to bring a spirit into your life that you don't want. But if you don't wake up today and get it out, it'll be too late by the time you realize, I don't need this. It will have destroyed everything in your life that's worth living for. And then it will fly away and leave you alone. How many things do we let slip into our lives and we get used to living with them? An attitude. What's wrong with an attitude? Everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. Kind of like an opinion and a nose. Some of ours roam more than the others, but attitude. Well, everybody needs a right, you know, everybody needs, everybody's got an attitude, yeah. But when that attitude becomes the destructive force of my life, when that attitude destroys relationships, when that attitude divides, when that attitude puts a, 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 a sword into the heart of those that I say I love, and my attitude of indifference, I don't care. I don't care. You do what you do, whatever you want. I don't care. I'm preaching to you. I don't know if you know that this morning. I'm preaching to some of you right now. I don't care. doesn't hurt me. That attitude is nurtured. That spirit is nurtured. And all the time we're nurturing it. It's pushing out of our life everything that's good. Everything we really ought to be living for room for all that stuff and so it's pushing out the very best things of our life that spirit and some of us are battling spirits this morning that has literally driven out of our life the things that we say we love and say we live for and you say brother Hughes how in anybody in their right mind let that go on? Same way that Robin does a cuckoo bird living in its nest. At first you feel sorry for it, and then you get attached to it. And then you get used to it. And how many things do we live with right now because we're just used to it? From a broken garage door, To a low tire, to an unmown yard, to an unpainted house, or an unpainted room, or an unfinished task. And we walk by it every once in a while, and we look at it and think, ooh, close that door. <laughs> Why? Because we got used to it. brother 
gone to a restaurant one night to sit down and eat with a minister friend. And when they first went in, the lights were up real bright. And about 5 o'clock, it was like automatic. Boom. The lights went down real low. And he said, they're sitting there. They're trying to look at their menu and blinking their eyes and trying to, you know, get, man, get me a flashlight. But he said, the strangest thing happened. The longer we sat there and the more we talked, the more we got adjusted to the dark until finally we didn't need a flashlight to read the menu. Is that what's happening in our world right now? Is it we're just getting used to the dark? It, you know, when... when, when and I'm going to use television as an illustration. There's a lot of other things. But when television first came out, the, the shows were wholesome. Most, For the most part, I think. Families, Leave it to Beaver, uh, Father Knows Best, that kind of stuff. I mean, they were pretty moral. I, I'm, most of them, even the old-time radio broadcast, they ended with somebody saying, God bless you in a prayer or something of that nature. But as time has grown... Nowadays, the programs, first of all, most sitcoms right now have one item that they promote, and that's the homosexual agenda. You go sit down and watch any of them for any length of time, and that is one agenda that they push. They're going to keep pushing it until you get so used to it that you embrace it. But I cannot embrace what the Word of God says is an abomination. I can't do it. I'm not opposed to the person. I'm not mad at a person. I am against the sin. And that sin has not changed from the beginning. And so, but, but it's amazing how we get used to it. I'm old enough to remember when the first curse word was used in a program. I can remember that. And they had to censor it because that one word. But you know what? You can listen to any program on TV right now, and they'll use a multitude of curse words, and they're not bleeped out, or they're not. Nothing is done to it. All we do is say, okay, from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock is adult time, so make sure your kids aren't watching TV. But you know what's happened to us? We got used to it. At first, you heard it. Ooh. 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 Next thing you know, it's not, ooh, it's, oh. The next thing is not, oh, it's, <laughs> you know, every once in a while it just slips out. And then finally we get to the place where <laughs> we don't even flinch. People don't even, it, it, what I'm preaching right now is so foreign that some of you sitting on these pews right now think I, am, I have lost my mind because I would even bring it up. That I am so outdated. You know what? I'm not outdated. The reason people are calling it outdated is because we have left that cuckoo bird in our nest so long and its nature is so much against what we represent that we have gotten accustomed to it. We've gotten used to it. And now we can live with it and let 
everything that we love die around us, but we keep nurturing it and we keep feeding it because we're in love with it now. Until David came, that's exactly what happened in Israel. They just lived with it. Somebody said, well, why don't you do it? Well, you know, we've tried and nothing's good. No, we just, we just we can't do it. David said, you know what? I'm not living with this. I don't believe it's the will of God for us to live like this. I don't believe God is happy or pleased with other natures that are foreign to his nature, pushing out the very things that we should love. And so David decides it's time to do something about it. And so he goes to the hold, and you know the story. He goes to battle. He defeats the Philistines. They come back again, just like the devil. You can knock him down one day. He's going to come back next. So he goes back again, and he smites them again. And I like that word. I want to use that word, smite. He didn't coddle it. He didn't say, okay, now, we got to figure out how to get this, get along. We, we, we're, we're smart. We're smart. We're, you know, we, we don't live in the dark ages. We, we, got to, we got to make this work. Why can't we live together in peace? I'll tell you why we can't live together in peace, because we have two different natures. And two different desires and two different agendas and two different programs. What you love, I don't love. And what I love, you don't love. That's why the Philistines and the Israelites could not live together in harmony. Because they represented two opposing ideologies and two opposing religious philosophies and two opposing lifestyles. You can't live together because they don't go together. They don't mix. And so David says, he said, I'm not going to find out a way to live with them. I'm not going to negotiate some truce. I'm not going to figure out how to make this work. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't have the right to this territory. This belongs to me. This is my house. This is my home. This is my marriage. This is my life. And I'm not going to let some foreign spirit destroy me because I've gotten used to living with it. And so David did just what he did. He smote it. He struck at it. He took a sword and killed it. He didn't slap at it. He didn't love pat it. He didn't. Now you naughty thing. You naughty He balled up his fist and hit it in the mouth where it needed to be hit. He took a sword and whacked it in the knee and everywhere else where it, he needed, it didn't need to live. That spirit, you said, Brother Hughes, that's kind of barbaric. It is a spiritual parallel. It's not just something that we're going out to fight people and we're going to destroy people. It is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. And there are spirits that are alive right now. And some of them are living in your nest. I'm not saying that you brought it there. 
I'm saying that something deposited that spirit in your nest. And you have grown accustomed to feeding it. And nurturing it. And loving it. So much so that you'll let it kill everything that really represents you. And let a spirit live that is so contradictory to everything you are. David said, not anymore. No. He said, we're going to bring this to an end. We're not going to go out and have a peace party. We're not going to go out and negotiate. We're going to battle. Church, there's some of you need to go to battle. There's some of you need to go to war this morning. There's some of you that need to rise up and say, you know what? I am not going to let this destroy my family. I am not going to let this destroy my home. I'm not going to let this destroy my life. I'm not going to let this destroy everything that I love and represent and rise up and defeat the spirit, the spirit, the spirit that is completely opposed to everything that you represent. In Jesus' name, right now, give somebody the courage that they need to get up and say, this is coming to an end today. We need to quit playing games with the enemy of our soul. We need to quit playing games with the enemy of our soul. We need to quit coddling it. We need to quit toying with it. We need to quit teasing ourselves with it because its spirit represents everything that is opposed to what God's Spirit wants for your life. I need to take the sword of the Spirit, and I need to strike a blow to it this morning. I need to take the sword of the Spirit. I need to take the, 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 the spirit of prayer, and I, I need to take a whack at it this morning. I need to rise up in my family, in my home, in myself and say, you know what? Enough of this madness, enough of this confusion, enough of this disarray, enough of all of this stuff that's going on. I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not living like this. I am not living any longer with this kind of spirit. I want it out of my life. I want it away from me. I want victory. I want a breakthrough. That's what I need, a breakthrough. That's why some of us need to pray through so we can get to that place of breakthrough. Because as long as we stay like we are and we don't pray through, we're going to keep going right along coddling that nature and coddling that spirit and coddling that attitude that is destroying everything that we claim we love. Stand with me.